Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, You also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. Hey, Guru Nation. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. Um, I got a question on YouTube that I've been saving for a few days because I've been traveling and I've been giving it some thought. And I mean, you could probably tell by the title, but AI's impact on the industry, technology's impact on the industry, on clinical research. Nobody knows the answer. All right. What we can do is look at history to see other tech trends and how they have changed or have not changed and what they have changed and what they have not changed about clinical research. And there's a lot of interesting buzzwords thrown around. Like a couple years ago, 2016, there was risk-based monitoring, which kind of, kind of became the new norm. I mean, you don't even really ask anymore as a site, like, are we doing risk-based monitoring? For the most part, most of the studies that I know are either doing some elements of risk-based monitoring uh, or they're just doing 100% source data verification. Uh, From the three studies that we actually have monitors on right now, actually two, one is about to start. From the two studies that we have monitors, uh, one is using elements of risk-based monitoring and the other one is 100% SDV. So I know it's anecdotal, but see, this is a technology, risk-based monitoring. It's because of big data, data analytics, EDC. The digitization of our industry is allowing more analytics to be run, more algorithms to be run. So it just makes sense that these things will become part of our day-to-day existence in this industry without even noticing it. But you know what? I got a question and I'm going to relate it back to a story when I got started in this industry and then we'll see how 
how silly it sounds now to think about it. But here's a comment I got. Can you talk about how AI, so artificial intelligence, is taking over the industry, making a lot of jobs obsolete in about five years? Another topic is big corporations like Walmart and CVS getting into clinical trials and how their infrastructure is better along with database. They will no doubt bring a lot of technology, which a lot of big pharmas are slow to adopt. So there's a couple of things there. Let's start with the fear of jobs being obsolete. I think, again, just my thought, yes, certain jobs will, but I think the jobs will change. I think we're already seeing the CRA role changing. I mean, if you go back to 2016, which was only six years ago, a lot of CRAs back then thought, hey, you know what? Once they switch to risk-based monitoring, my job is over. Like, I'm at risk. That's the furthest thing from the truth of what actually happened. We we don't need to speculate anymore. We can look. Six years later, after a pandemic, a global pandemic that shut down basically the entire economy for at least half a year, if not an entire year, it made our industry busier because of the mRNA technology and now omics and all kinds of stuff. But there's a more of a shortage of series now than there was before risk-based monitoring. Because I remember a lot of monitors back in 2016 were worried, oh, our job is obsolete. Your job's not going to be obsolete. Your job is changing. Your job, like today, we had a, this week, we were supposed to have an on-site visit by one of our CRAs, and she changed it to make it a remote site visit. Why is that possible? First of all, it was her choice to do that. It's possible because we're using eSource and eReg and then obviously EDC. So there's really no need to come in. And yes, FaceTime matters for compliance issues and things like that. It's just harder to not pay attention to somebody in person than it is on the Zoom. And right after I finish recording this, we're actually supposed to join our CRA on a Zoom meeting for a debrief of her remote IMV. So guess what? All right. Her job is not at risk. She's able to actually do a better job, I would argue, because instead of wasting a day traveling and booking, checking into their rental car, booking a flight, checking into their hotel, flights running late. I mean, she's still doing all that. But she has the flexibility when she gets busier with her other sites or when they're ramping up maybe database lock. I actually don't know what's going on in that study. I'll find out soon. She has this flexibility so she can do her job more efficiently. So I think efficiency increases. One of the things with technology, technology is a deflationary force. This is something people don't understand. And this is where I think a lot of the misconceptions come. So technology is a deflationary force. What does that mean? It means that the cost of things, as they get more efficient, because technology makes things more efficient, at least theoretically, the cost of those things go down. So, but the value, there is greater value add there by giving the CRA tasks that algorithms can't do. For example, if a site's not enrolling or if a site's just making the same deviations or mistakes over and over again, an algorithm, sure, they can point that out to you and just send email alerts to the coordinator. 
but it's a big difference between that and a human being reaching out to the site saying, hey, you know what? I've been a CRC. I've worked with many CRCs. Here's how we handle these things. Here's how other sites are handling these things. Let's work this out. Because at the end of the day, the site is a PI and a coordinator usually, right? I mean, there's a lot of sports staff too at certain sites, but at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to is a PI and a coordinator. And those are human beings and they respond to other human beings much better than they do to algorithms. Not to mention the compliance, because you can make an algorithm, you know, send you alerts. E-diaries for patients, perfect example. You can just send e-diary alerts like, oh, you missed your e-diary, you missed your e-diary, you missed your e-diary. After a few times, patient just ignores that stuff and says, hey, this is irrelevant. I'm being bombarded with these alerts. I don't need it. But you know what they don't ignore? At least as often. A phone call from the study coordinator, or better yet, an in-person at their next visit. Hey, we appreciate that you're in this study. We value our study participants. We actually had to do this last week, but we really need you to work on on doing your diaries and being more compliant. It's a it's critical for this part of the study that we get your data, please. We don't want to have to withdraw you. Unfortunately, our sponsor is going to make us do that. If you don't become more compliant, please, with your e-diary. So our job, even as CRCs, is kind of changing. The technology is alerting us, but it, the, te the technology is not solving the issue. It's just an alert. So I see the same thing with AI in a nutshell. Um, and by the way, AI, to actually replace a CRA, I'm not a futurist. But we are nowhere close. Like we are barely capable with technologies of alerting sites of when something goes unexpected. Like IRB continuing review, right? You'll get those alerts. Oh, your site, you know, you have to continue review, fill out the continuing review. But also that alerts the site and the CRA. So now if the site, just gets busy and forgets it or ignores the alerts because they get so many and they don't know how to decipher which one's important from which ones are not our noise. See, there's a difference. Also tech brings another set of problems differentiating between noise and what's essential human being needs to help do that. Plus the, it works better when the CRC has a good relationship with the CRA. So a lot of this technology just creates more noise. And it doesn't actually solve problems. And that's where CRAs do. So for AI to get to that point, I don't think we're going to see it in our lifetimes in our industry. And our industry is really easy to predict what's going to happen. All you got to do is follow other industries. So what's currently being dis disrupted, we're barely at the beginning of fast food being disrupted. And with self-driving cars, maybe transportation, but we're even that, like not even close to that yet. But fast food's probably the best example. So the cashiers are basically replaced in a lot of places with kiosks, self-serve kiosks, which then sends the order to the back where there's actually people making the food. Uh, you can argue that those people will be replaced by robots to actually make the food. And that's maybe not even a good comparison because those are robots and not necessarily AI. 
Uh, financial services is another one where like underwriters, basically underwriters who are responsible for making sure that somebody's income statement when they're applying for credit is is uh, not too risky for the bank to give a loan to the person. That's probably closer to what we're doing where it's just a pure algorithm. But even that is, it's very streamlined. It's a very simple input output. There's just a few equations there. In clinical research, you have different protocols. No protocol is the same. So the algorithm's not gonna be the same. The fundamentals of research are the same, but the fundamentals are kind of integrated into the protocol. So you need to make a customized algorithm for every protocol. And at the end of the day, how, how good is that? How much value add is that over having a CRA do it? So the way I see it is AI is going to be a complementary to a CRA and make them ideally more efficient because the way CRA is currently monitoring is not very efficient. I've been a CRA I always, I always ask myself, like, I do not know how these CRAs who do this day in and day out, they have a site visit just about three times a week where they're looking at 20 visits a day each time they do a site visit, plus regulatory, plus IP accountability. I mean, if they get tired, like, they're going to miss stuff, and they miss stuff all the time. So I think the AI, if anything, is going to allow the series to do a better job so that they cannot miss things or miss less things. And that's if the AI, the algorithms are perfect. They're not. But they're going to miss less things and then be able to spend more time helping the site solve the problems because technology does not solve problems. And we're going to get into that with the Walgreens and CVS example, but I want to leave with one more anecdote. So to tie into the AI and the fear of losing jobs. When I started in research, it was 2005. I was a coordinator. Uh, we The first study that I ever worked on was also the last study I ever did. It was the first and only study I ever did where we used paper CRF, paper case report forms. So that's that's old school, guys. There was no such thing as EDC, electronic data capture. Me, the coordinator, would write capture source documentation. Then I would input into this big binder. I wish I would have saved one of these things for historical purposes. I didn't have the foresight back then to do that. Input the same data into a paper CRF. It was a carbon copied. So there was a white, a pink, and a yellow. The monitor would come every eight weeks, look at the source, look at the pages on the CRF, rip the pages after queries have been cleaned, and FedEx them to data management. And then data management would put this all into a database. And Obviously, like anybody who's in the clinical research now must be thinking, that's how the hell did they do that? That's so inefficient. And I think that's how we're going to be looking at monitoring 15 years from now. Like, how did we have monitors do site source data review 20 visits every IMV visit that they have and expect them to get everything, catch everything? So, no, we're going to integrate AI into it so that we can keep them on course right and avoid a lot of like mundane 
human errors or oversight. So I I don't think CRA jobs is at risk. I don't think coordinator jobs is at risk. I I don't think I can't really think of any role in clinical research that's at risk, like even remote site monitor, even in-house CRA. I mean, a lot of these things technology can't do because technology can make, can alert and point out inefficiencies. And in some ways they can make some things more efficient, like the workflow, but they're not very good at correcting mistakes, correcting problems and solving problems. And I don't think AI is advanced enough, maybe not even in our lifetimes, to be able to solve a lot of the complex problems in clinical research. Just from an operational standpoint, we haven't even gotten into patient recruitment, which is, by the way, the biggest weakness of this industry since it started. And it has not changed, despite tons of technology, technological innovations and decentralized trials. So let's get into CVS and Walgreens getting into studies. Yes, they bring a lot of technology with them. They have huge database, right? CVS and Walgreens probably has half of the 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 country's information in their database. They have diagnosis and what medications they're taking. So what? My whole point to this is so what? I don't know any patient that has a relationship with their pharmacist that is better than their relationship with their own clinician. I'm sure there's cases, but for the most part, especially, especially at big chain pharmacies, all right, I could probably see that happening at a mom and pop pharmacy, but at a big chain pharmacy like CVS and Walgreens where everything's automated and it doesn't matter who your pharmacist is or your farm tech is, how are they going to convince patients to do a study? Technology, that's another example of they can have all the technology they want. They can probably identify patients that qualify, right? You can see the parallel between that and AI and monitoring. We can identify problems, but how are we going to solve them? So yeah, CVS and Walgreens can identify if you give them a protocol, they can probably identify really quickly which patients are likely to qualify. So what? Who somebody's going to call them? from CVS and say, hey, we have a study for you and the patient's actually going to answer and the patient's going to trust CVS, who they never talked to their pharmacist in their life. Now, and it's not going to be the pharmacist calling, by the way, it's going to be somebody at a call center. So I don't see it happening because I don't see it happening at that scale because I don't even see it happening that way at a small scale. I'm partnered with three PIs, all small private practices where they have solid relationship with their patients. Even in those cases, I still run into obstacles getting patients to do studies because they're not trusting of the study. And yes, I'm only one step removed from their clinician. So there is a greater chance that they're going to trust me over Walgreens. And I'm still having a hard time getting them in. On top of that, you got to worry about the incentive structure at CVS and Walgreens. Who's going to be, it's a lot of work to pre-screen. Yeah, you can have the AI like do the first filter, but now somebody's got to actually go through their records and see, 
And by the way, CVS and Pharmacy, CVS and Walgreens, they don't have detailed record. They don't have progress notes of these patients' office visits with their clinicians. They just have demographics and they have like what medications they're on. They might have diagnosis, but that's it. They don't have the nuances. So a lot of those patients that the AI can pre-filter may not actually qualify. And the way these protocols are getting more and more complex, the chance of the probability of those patients not qualifying increases. So you really need that trusted community-based clinician or at least one layer of derivative removed from that clinician, interacting with patients, working with them, convincing them to join the study, not to mention CVS Walgreens, they don't have the space to do it. I mean, where are they going to do, where are they going to do visits? I guess they can make some private patient rooms, but those stores are limited, right? They're limited. Like all that tech doesn't really help. And yeah, then you can argue, okay, well, we can just do decentralized trials. Well, good luck doing decentralized trials. We're already seeing how that's challenging for a lot of patients because patients, they don't like getting e-diaries 10 times a day. They don't like having, we as coordinators don't like having 10 logins for one study. Patients don't like having two or three different logins. They don't have. They don't want to remember. Okay, today I have to do this. Tomorrow I have to do this. Thursday, this person's gonna call me. It works a lot better when you have a coordinator dealing with the patient. And yes, you can argue that in DCT we can assign each patient a coordinator. Maybe there's some. Pro- I'm not a deny. I'm not a DCT denier. A decentralized clinical trial denier. I actually think there are elements of that that will last, especially when it comes down to making study visits more convenient for patients. But I don't think it replaces the site, and I don't think CVS and Walgreens bring anything special to the table when it comes to clinical research. I think a big medical health system like Kaiser Permanente has a better chance And even they're kind of struggling. So typically, the bigger the organizations get, the less efficient they become and the more waste that has to go into that. And then if you're a sponsor and you're looking at all these tools, these tools are not cheap, by the way. These DCT DCT vendors are venture capitalized. They're basically spending money that's not theirs, and they're spending a lot of it to compete for efficiencies with sites like mine and sites like Brad Hightower's, who's actually out enrolling them with very low tech solutions. So sponsors sit back and have to analyze the numbers and say, okay, yeah, how much do we actually want to push this? Because at the end of the day, what do we care about? We don't necessarily care about DCT so much. We care about increasing efficiencies and minimizing the time it takes to complete a study. And I think when you start bringing in bigger organizations, time increases to accomplish anything. Anybody that works with an academic medical center knows this. Once something gets bigger and more bureaucracy, it takes longer to get things accomplished. And that's my thoughts on that. I could be very wrong. 
I certainly think that they CVS and Walgreens could, in theory, do well. I don't think they can do well on just any study. And then at the end of the day, you're going to say, okay, well, they can do well on the easy studies. Well, so can your private community-based clinician. Think about it. The industry doesn't necessarily need help on the easy stuff. They need help on the harder stuff. And this is my thoughts on AI, on tech, and on big corporations getting into clinical research. Definitely interesting to watch it and be a part of it and be an active participant in this ecosystem. And again, it's just my opinion, but I'm basing it off of conversations I've had. I've actually had conversations with both CVS and Walgreens. Let me tell you, I mean, they got a lot to learn. And to implement something like this at scale is not easy. And time will tell. And that's all. I guess this was a podcast. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Let me know your thoughts. Catch you all later. Bye-bye.